Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. How do you spell FBI? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 112, Toy Story 2. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And a huge hi and welcome to you all. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are a lot of movie podcasts out there and I'm really, really grateful that you've chosen to spend time with me. Whether you are a returning listener or a brand new listener to Verbal Diorama, Basically, no matter how you got here, I am really grateful that you're here. And it's great that you're here because this is a movie that really does bring people together. I don't know anyone, anyone who does not like this movie. So, so I feel like this is kind of the perfect opportunity if you are a brand new listener to this podcast to start with this movie because this is a crowd pleaser. And part of the reason that I'm doing this movie is because of something that I've dubbed Sequel Temba. So the first episode of Sequel Temba was on X-Men 2. And a huge thank you to everyone who listened and commented on that episode. And um, Sequel Temba is basically all about sequels to some of the most popular movies that I've already covered. So obviously I've covered X-Men, the movie from 2000. So I did X-Men 2. And I covered Toy Story way back for episode 50 of this podcast. And I always said that I would come back for the sequel. And here I am. Jess is here with me as well. She's being incredibly good. She's not really making much of a sound. She's with me because there is a character in this movie called Jessie. And obviously this movie came out in 1999. Jess the cat was born in 2004. She is not named after this character. I, I will be completely honest. Jess was just a cat name that I particularly liked but she's with me I don't know how long for but she's with me because the Sarah McLaughlin song that plays always reminds me of her and it's probably one of the reasons why I get incredibly emotional when that song comes on but before we jump in to Toy Story 2 I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened and got involved and 
was just really, really supportive on previous episodes that I've done. Uh, I recently dropped episodes on Pan's Labyrinth, which is obviously Guillermo del Toro's magnum opus, and also Labyrinth as well. Uh, and Pan's Labyrinth and Labyrinth came out pretty much a couple of days after each other. And then a couple of days after Labyrinth, X-Men 2 came out. And I'm just really, really grateful to everyone who takes the time to listen and comment and just basically give feedback on those episodes. So thank you very much if you did. So we're going to jump into the trailer for Toy Story 2. And it's a movie that bettered its predecessor in every way, but also that got deleted twice. But before we go into that, let's listen to the trailer. It's too fast! How could you even tell what's on? Too late, I'm in the 40s. Gotta go around the horn. It's faster. He's stealing Woody. Somebody do something! Woody was kidnapped. Woody once risked his life to save me. I couldn't call myself his friend. If I weren't willing to do the same. I'm packing you your angry eyes, just in case. Let's move, move, move! Geronimo! Ah! To infinity and beyond! Don't talk to any toy you don't know! We'll have to cross. You're not turning me into a mashed potato. I may not be a smart dog, but I know what roadkill is. Drop! officially freaked out now. What are we gonna do, Buzz? Use your head. But I don't want to use my head! This Thanksgiving, the toys are back in town. Woody saves the day again! And just trying to get home. <laughs> it isn't a real rescue without Buzz Lightyear! In one piece. <laughs> We've been down this aisle already. We've never been down this aisle. It's pink! Back it up, back it up! I'm a marriage spot, I'm a marriage spot. Ah! I'm going to let go of the wall. Ah. What? He would. Ah! One. He would. Two. Three. Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Toy Story 2. Ride like the wind, bullseye. While Andy is away at summer camp, Woody is stolen by Al McWiggin, a greedy toy collector and proprietor of Al's Toy Barn. Buzz, Mr. Potato Head, Slinky Dog, Rex and Ham spring into action to rescue Woody, who finds out he's actually a rare collector's piece from a famous 50s TV show called Woody's Roundup. Woody meets his Roundup gang, Jesse, Bullseye and Stinky Pete the Prospector, but the latter wants the gang to remain together in a Japanese museum. Can the rest of Andy's toys... Save Woody. Hmm, let's find out, shall we? Uh, <laughs> let's go through the cast of this movie first of all. We have obviously Tom Hanks as Woody, Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear, Joan Cusack as Jesse, Kelsey Grammer as Stinky Pete the Prospector, Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head, Jim Varney as Slinky Dog, Wallace Shawn as Rex. John Ratzenberger as Ham, 
Annie Potts as Bo Peep, Estelle Harris as Mrs. Potato Head, Wayne Knight as Al McWiggin, John Morris as Andy Davis, Laurie Metcalf as Andy's mum, R. Lee Ernie as Sarge, Jodie Benson as Tour Guide Barbie, Jonathan Harris as The Cleaner, Joe Ramft as Wheezy, Jeff Pigeon as The Aliens, and Andrew Stanton as Evil Emperor Zerg. The screenplay was by Andrew Stanton. Uh, it was also by Rita Sow, Doug Chamberlain and Chris Webb. The story by John Lasseter, Pete Doctor, Ash Brannan and Andrew Stanton. And it was directed by John Lasseter and co-directed by Ash Brannan and Lee Unkrich. Uh, and I'm going to come on to those co-directorial credits and the directorial credit and basically everything that happened in the background of this movie in a little bit. But as I said, 62 episodes ago, that is episode 50, I covered the original Toy Story that came out in 1995. And I talked about what a miracle it was that Toy Story ever came to be, about how it literally changed the face of animation. I'm not going to repeat what I previously said, because that's all in episode 50. So please go and listen to episode 50 of this podcast as a precursor to this episode. But it's safe to say that after Toy Story, Toy Story 2 may have been quickly greenlit, but not only did we not get what was intended, this movie went through just as much to get made as its predecessor. And I wasn't joking about it being deleted. Once by accident, once on purpose. I am going to get to that in a bit. But to start this story, we obviously need to go back to 1995. Because Toy Story had been a huge hit for Pixar and Disney in 1995. And while toy manufacturers dropped the ball on Buzz Lightyear merchandise, listen to episode 50 for more on that doozy, it was John Lasseter travelling with his family just after Toy Story's release he saw a young boy clutching a Woody doll and he realised the power of these characters. Seeing a child excitedly show his parents this particular doll of Woody and realised that that boy would grow up playing with Woody and that there must be more stories that this universe could tell. Together, he and Ed Catmull and Ralph Guggenheim visited the new chairman of Walt Disney Studios, Joe Roth. He had replaced Jeffrey Katzenberg and Joe Roth liked the idea of a sequel and wanted it to be a direct-to-video sequel. These were cheap to make and they were highly profitable. And if you're not sure what a direct-to-video sequel is, basically in the 90s, the direct-to-video sequel from Disney, they were kind of weird little things, actually. They were technically sequels, but they were never of the same standard. I'm talking visually, I'm talking story-wise, often with replacement voice actors as well. They were there for one thing, and that was to make a profit off the good word of the original movie. They were made by Disney Toon Studios, which was established in 1990. Coincidentally, the same year that Disney released the first ever animated sequel, The Rescuers Down Under, which was not a direct-to-video sequel that had a full theatrical release and is actually rather good as well. Unfortunately, The Rescuers Down Under faced off against that angel-faced burglar thwarting Kevin McAllister, as Home Alone dominated the box office in 1990. At the time, Disney was at the start of its majestic renaissance period. I'm talking Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin and The Lion King. They would all be tremendous successes for the studio in the 90s, both financially and critically. And to capitalise on those movies' success, Disney Tune Studios released The Return of Jafar, Aladdin and the King of Thieves, Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas, The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, 
as well as direct-to-video sequels to The Emperor's New Groove, Lilo and Stitch, and Atlantis The Lost Empire, two middling critical success but huge financial success. Even Robin Williams returned to voice the genie in Aladdin King of Thieves, and that was quite monumentous that he actually did that. But it was never about the quality of these movies, it was about the quantity. They were cheaper to make, they often reflected that in the animation style, but just to coin a phrase from this movie, they did make huge buck buck bucks. And this was way before Disney realised that theatrical sequels were actually worth investing in. And so at this point, Toy Story 2 was going to be direct-to-video. Whether Tom Hanks and Tim Allen would be available and affordable was uncertain at that point, as was the story, and whether it would even be computer animated. It was even considered to potentially be a hand-drawn animated movie. But John Lasseter spied an opportunity to harvest some new directing talent, mainly because his top choices were working on other features. Andrew Stanton was co-directing A Bug's Life and Pete Docter was working on what would become Monsters, Inc. With Pixar a relatively small new company, without the capacity to take on a sequel project, Lasseter decided to enlist animation director for Toy Story Ash Brannan and Disney and Pixar announced Toy Story 2 on the 12th of March 1997. And when it came to who was actually going to animate this movie, back in the 90s, uh, and anyone who grew up in the 90s will know what I'm talking about, CD-ROMs. Interactive CD-ROMs were a fairly new way at the time of merchandising a product. So basically you could create games or stories and other licensed products. And Disney had an interactive products group. It was the computer games division at Disney and they had already created the animated storybook for Toy Story as well as the Toy Story Activity Center. There are clips of these animations online and honestly, the animation is so beautifully done. You forget that CD-ROM animation was actually quite good as well. So these people who were working in this division, they knew the characters, they had the models, they had everything that they needed. It was a team of 95 people including animators, engineers, and an art department. And so Steve Jobs made the decision to shut down the computer games division and transition the staff to the Toy Story 2 production in lieu of the availability of Pixar's 300 plus staff members. As I said, they were working on A Bug's Life and they were also starting to work on Monsters, Inc. This ensured the sequel could be computer generated like before. And despite some concerns over their availability, both Tom Hanks and Tim Allen signed on to the sequel project. It was Ash Brannan who came up with the concept of Woody being found in a yard sale by a collector and being a rare toy. The idea of him being part of a collectible set came from the first draft of A Tin Toy Christmas, which had been pitched to Disney originally in 1990. Al McWiggin, the obsessive toy collector, had originally appeared in an early draft for Toy Story. The idea of collectible toys is something that John Lasseter had experience with. As a toy collector himself and having five sons who wanted to play with these collector's items made him think, how would it feel for the toy to become a collector's item? And how does that work with the underlying theme of the first Toy Story, that a toy is there to be loved and played with by a child? So the direct-to-video version of Toy Story was mostly similar in plot with a few notable differences. And I'm going to go through these differences. The first being that Bullseye actually had a voice. Martin Short had been approached to star as Bullseye and had reportedly recorded lines. Additionally, the character of Jesse does not appear in this movie at all and was instead a cactus called Senorita Cactus. And she was a fellow antagonist to the Prospector who is not called Stinky Pete, he is just called the Prospector. Instead of a rescue mission where Woody rescues Wheezy the Penguin from the yard sale, Woody accidentally rips a stitch in his trousers, 
goes onto the roof to clear his head and a loose tile means he falls off the roof and into the yard sale where he's found by Al McWiggin, who is the cleaner in this director video version as well. And he sets about cleaning this Woody doll, who is a collectible item. There is a slightly different scene at the Toy Barn with Buzz, their new version Ultra Buzz and Emperor Zerg, where Buzz rips Zerg's batteries out instead. Woody's dealings with the Roundup team differ too, as the Prospector and Senuita Cactus are self-obsessed toys who think themselves above other toys because they are collector's items. Only Bullseye understands what it's like to be played with by a kid. Woody slowly realises who he is and becomes more and more self-absorbed by his newfound status as a celebrity toy and starts to align his thoughts with the Prospector and Senorita Cactus. When Buzz gets into Al's apartment to rescue Woody, Woody says he doesn't want to be saved, so Buzz ties him up and takes him to the roof and reminds him that being Andy's toy is a privilege. The Prospector and Senorita Cactus then demand that Woody choose his old life with Andy or his new life with them in a museum. Woody's hat ends up getting blown off on the roof and he ends up on a flagpole trying to save it and is himself saved by Buzz and he realises that he wants to stay with Andy and the rest of the toys but he also wants to take Bullseye back with him so goes back into the apartment to get Bullseye where all of the other toys, Mr Potato Head, Ham, Rex and Slinky have come through the vents to also save Woody. Buzz drops a rope from the roof for all the toys but doesn't have the strength to pull them all up. So Woody sacrifices himself and Bullseye sacrifices himself too. With the Woody's Roundup gang back in the apartment, Al returns and packs them up for the museum. He puts them in his car and Andy's toys get in the boot. Woody has an idea to stuff his hat into Al's exhaust which causes the car to splutter. Al pulls into a petrol station and the toys commandeer his car and drive it off. Al follows suit in a stolen Pizza Planet truck. They throw Woody's Roundup merchandise at him until the truck slows its pursuit. And the Prospector and Senuita Cactus attack Woody on the roof of the car. Bullseye kicks them off and they drive the car to Andy's house just in time for his return from cowboy camp. The end. That is the plot for the director video version of Toy Story. And I'm pretty certain that you will all think <laughs> that, I mean, firstly, <laughs> my description is probably not brilliant, but it's not as good, is it? But it is very similar in plot. There are some scenes that are almost identical. A lot of the scenes are either still used in the theatrical version or retooled for the theatrical version. But really, the question is, how did we get from direct-to-video to a theatrical release? Well, simply put, Toy Story 2 was too good for direct-to-video. The new animation crew had a new facility. They reused some elements from Toy Story, but otherwise, technological advances and a crew of perfectionists who wanted to create the best possible product meant that character models were upgraded, shaders were subtly improved, and Pixar and Disney realised they had a problem in the best possible sense, that a cheap direct-to-video sequel just simply wasn't good enough for this material. And so... After Disney executives viewed the complete reels in November 1997, impressed with the quality of work and also due to the higher crew salaries, the financials of releasing direct-to-video may not have been as lucrative as they'd hoped. After negotiations between Steve Jobs and Joe Roth, Toy Story 2 would follow the model of a newly created five-film deal between Disney and Pixar, but Toy Story 2 wouldn't count as one of those five films. On February the 5th, 1998, Steve Jobs announced that Toy Story 2 would be a theatrical release. This also freed up money to attract and keep animators who were tempted to leave for Jeffrey Katzenberg's newly created DreamWorks animation. The theatrical release date for Toy Story 2 was set 
to the 24th November 1999. And keep that date in mind because that's going to be really important later on. The decision to turn Toy Story 2 into a theatrical feature began in earnest in 1998. A 150-strong team of animators, lighters and modellers at Pixar had been hard at work for some time. Well, at the same time, another 200 plus people were finishing A Bug's Life, the second Pixar feature. And then, as they were working on certain characters in Toy Story 2, they noticed that things were being removed. Directories went from having 40 files to four. Entire sequences started to vanish before their eyes. Oren Jacob, Associate Technical Director for Toy Story 2, realised very quickly that the movie was being deleted off the company's servers. Hundreds of man-hours of work was vanishing. In a panic, the whole project potentially being deleted, the decision was made to pull the plug on the network connection on the server. When the machine was brought back up, it was estimated that 90% of the movie had been deleted, most likely by an erroneous command and not done deliberately. Rather than ask how, a decision was made to restore the data and then investigate later. Mistakes can happen. This is why all companies have backups. In this situation, Pixar had backup tapes. The problem with backup tapes was, well, they were tapes for a start, never the most reliable, but also they weren't tested. You should always test your backups, by the way. And at the time, Pixar didn't test their backups. Tape drives only stored a maximum of four gigs worth of data. And when that file size was met, older files were pushed off to make way for the newer backups. Needless to say, they didn't know this at the time. And Pixar began restoring Toy Story 2 from the backup tapes and submitted 2,000 frames to render. At first, they thought they'd lost about a week's worth of work, which could be caught back on. With the movie restored, they set about back to work. And then weird errors started happening. Previous shots wouldn't render correctly. Items wouldn't appear in the right place in frame. A week later, oddities and strange things were still happening. And it became apparent that the restored version was unreliable at best and completely corrupt at worst. They had zero confidence in this backup version and so a huge meeting was called and no one had a solution. Basically, this was critical. Step forward supervising technical director Galen Sussman. She'd given birth to her second child shortly before and she had been working from home, meaning that she had a silicon graphics workstation at her house and in order for her to work from home, and this being before the days of high-speed internet connections, the workstation had a full copy of the movie on it, and she received incremental updates over an ISDN connection. Theoretically, her version of the movie was, at the very least, a couple of weeks out of date, but it was a fully working copy. And with an incomplete backup and a corrupt batch of files, this really was their only hope. Just to get a little Star Wars pun in there, because there are quite a lot of Star Wars puns in this movie. So Oren Jacob and Galen Sussman got in her Volvo, drove to her house, retrieved the computer, strapped it in her car and drove it as carefully as possible back to Pixar. It was dubbed the $100 million Volvo as all of Pixar's efforts up to this point relied on this one machine. And as soon as it did boot up, they copied the entire hard drive over. And while her copy was a couple of weeks old as expected, they were able to confirm and verify 70,000 files were present and accounted for, leaving 30,000 files to manually check. Those manual checks took a few days, with crews sacrificing their weekends. Some of them even slept at the office to get the job done. So important was this little sequel. Once checked, they rebuilt and tested the project, and it worked, 
despite some files still being missing, Toy Story 2 was alive. But it didn't stay alive for very long because despite all this hard work to save the project, John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, Pete Doctor and Joe Ranft had returned from the European promotional tour of Europe for A Bug's Life to see where Toy Story 2 was and to view the production reels. And they didn't like what they saw. This was just before Christmas 1998, 11 months till the release date, and they met with Disney to discuss the state of the movie and suggested it should be scrapped and that they should start again. Disney disagreed. They refused to move the planned release date. Pixar's team felt the story was dull and predictable. It didn't feel like a great sequel should feel. Production shut down on the 15th of December 1998 and crisis talks were had at Pixar. Scenes were scrapped, characters removed, characters added, and additional 12 to 15 minutes of new footage would be needed. At a story summit held at John Lasseter's house, the extra story material was created by a committee of him, Andrew Stanton, Joe Ranft and Pete Doctor. Together, they reworked the story in just two days, ready to be animated. The story was reworked to remove Senuita Cactus. John Lasseter stepped up to be the new director with Ash Brannan and Lee Unkrich as co-directors. Brannan focused on development, story and animation. Lasseter on art, modelling and lighting and Unkrich on editorial and layout. It was John Lasseter's wife, Nancy, who suggested a new female protagonist, a cowgirl, and most importantly, a non-romantic lead, which would eventually become Jessie. Additionally, Buster the dog, he is also brand new for this particular phase of Toy Story 2. And obviously, he is the first dog that Pixar had animated. Other Pixar models were borrowed, such as Jerry from Jerry's Game as the cleaner. Toy Story 2 would not only include more characters, including a variety of humans of all shapes and sizes, Toy Story famously reused their human characters, but also included more locations and more complicated camera shots. Pixar has always innovated, and Toy Story 2's main innovation was dust. For the shot on the dusty shelf, two million dust particles were created. A brand new opening scene of Rex playing the Buzz Lightyear video game was added. They effectively tossed one movie out of the window and created a brand new one with new characters, new scenes from scratch, and they had nine months to do it in. So the team worked almost continually from January to September 1999. They got RSI, they got Carpal Tunnel, all sorts of ailments from the Herculean effort to get Toy Story 2 reworked and reanimated. The team often worked 100 hour weeks every week for nine months to meet the release deadline because it costs a hell of a lot of money to change a release date. Toy Story 2 had marketing tie-ins and promotions. And while a few big movies have been delayed a few times, especially now during coronavirus, it's never done without incredible cost to the studio. So we should all remember that the next time No Time to Die or Top Gun Maverick gets delayed, which as I'm recording, this Top Gun Maverick has just been delayed again. But no Time to Die is standing firm at the end of this month, September 2021. But just know that they don't take decisions to move release dates lightly. Disney refused to do it for Toy Story 2, but Pixar stepped up and not only did we get Toy Story 2, we got a Toy Story 2 that was better than the original in every way, which is remarkable really when you know what Pixar went through to get there. Toy Story 2, had it not been released on time, would have seriously affected Pixar's credibility and affected their relationship with Disney. Honestly, to me, this synonymizes the start of Pixar. 
a scrappy little company that has excellence, innovation and perfectionism at the root of what they do. And to be honest, for me, this is what they've lost in recent years because you can see the blood, sweat and tears in Toy Story 2. I just don't see that in Toy Story 4, regardless of Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom is perfect <laughs> in that movie. The last episode on Toy Story, I mentioned Toy Story 4 as well. It's not that I don't like that movie. I think it's fine. It's just not a Toy Story movie to me. To me, Toy Story is a trilogy and it always will be. It's a trilogy with a Duke Kaboom short. <laughs> That's what it is. The other thing that Pixar lost after its initial first few movies, barring Toy Story, was the blooper reel. It was first found on A Bug's Life and then on Toy Story 2. The blooper reel was a sweet little addition if you stayed through the credits. The Toy Story 2 reel actually got added on December 25th, 1999, which was a month after its release. It also featured a cameo from Flick and Heimlich from A Bug's Life, as well as Disney Plus removing a casting couch gag from that version after the Me Too movement. The story of what happened to blooper reels was actually covered in an article on Film Stories, so I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, obviously, we'll never truly know what happened to them, but they were pretty wonderful while they lasted. Okay, so I've already mentioned Duke Kaboom a couple of times, so I feel like I have to move on to the obligatory Keanu reference now, which is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And in the episode on Toy Story, I mentioned that Keanu's character Duke Kaboom is canon in the Toy Story universe. However, I try to make each obligatory Keanu reference unique. And so Keanu Reeves has been in another movie about toys, sort of, yeah, go with me here. Babes in Toyland, which was a made-for-TV Christmas movie, which also starred Drew Barrymore, another favourite of this podcast, which I'll always remember. And this is the weirdest thing to remember it for. It's the movie with the song that helps me spell Cincinnati. Not that I've ever routinely had to spell Cincinnati, but that movie has a song where they spell Cincinnati. So <laughs> there you go. That is the obligatory Keanu reference. It's pretty bad, but I'm going to run out eventually, guys, and I'm sorry, but I might just have to start reusing them soon. Let's move on to the music. So Randy Newman obviously returned for this movie and did the score. He wrote two new songs, When She Loved Me, performed by Sarah McLachlan, and Woody's Roundup, performed by Riders in the Sky. When She Loved Me was nominated for a Best Original Song Academy Award, but lost to You'll Be In My Heart by Phil Collins from the movie Tarzan. Yep, we forget that Toy Story 2 and Tarzan came out in the same year. And is there anyone out there who doesn't tear up at the Jesse Emily scene set to When She Loved Me? Because that scene gets me every single time. And it is mainly because it reminds me of my cat, which I know sounds really weird. <laughs> but Jess has always been in the periphery of my life. Jess is 17 years old. And that's quite a good age for a cat. So although... I got Jess several years after this movie. This movie always reminds me of Jess. She is gone, by the way. She left a while ago, but she was here at the start of this episode. And yeah, this movie always reminds me of her, which is probably another reason why I love it so much. It's just a really, really beautiful song and it always makes me cry. And it famously made Tom Hanks and Tim Allen cry when they saw it. Let's talk about the movie's release. So the completed film was screened at CalArts on the 12th of November 1999 to celebrate the 40 plus CalArts alumni who worked on the movie. Its official premiere was on the 13th of November 1999 at the El Capitan Theatre in Los Angeles, the same place that Toy Story had premiered. 
It was released fully in the US on the 24th of November 1999 and included the Pixar short Look So Junior, which had been originally released in 1986. Toy Story 2 was made for $90 million. That includes all of the work that was redone. Toy Story 2 would end up grossing $487 million worldwide. I think it's safe to say that a direct-to-video release would not have made that much money. It would release at the end of that chartable week and technically would open at number three in that first week against The World Is Not Enough and Sleepy Hollow. But given that it only had one day's worth of release to hit number three in the box office, it's not bad going. That following week, it shot to number one where it stayed for two weeks until it was dethroned by The Green Mile. It became 1999's highest grossing animated film and it would be re-released alongside Toy Story for a 3D conversion in 2009. And yes, I went to the cinema to see the 3D re-release and yes, it was marvellous. And famously, along with its predecessor, Toy Story 2 retains a 100% of Rotten Tomatoes and shamefully, shamefully, five critics have plummeted Toy Story 3 to 98%. How very dare you all. I hope you all feel very sorry for yourselves because Toy Story is the perfect trilogy. To me, these are movies that encompass everything about what it is to be human, about what it is to be a child, about nostalgia and about the joy of nostalgia and the joy of play. How anyone can rate Toy Story 3 rotten is completely beyond me. Have a word with yourselves. But anyway, Toy Story 2 retains 100%. So Toy Story and Toy Story 2 are both 100% on Rotten Tomatoes still and shame on those five critics who have dropped Toy Story 3 to 98%. Shame on you. As I mentioned, it was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song. It was also nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Original Song for When She Loved Me. And it won a Golden Globe for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, as well as being nominated for nine Annie Awards, which are the Animation Awards. It won seven of those awards. And Toy Story 3, as I mentioned, arguably makes the perfect trilogy. That came out in 2010. And yes, I will do Toy Story 3 because it's perfect. And as I said, I don't hate Toy Story 4. I don't have the same level of respect for it. And hear me out because I think it looks absolutely beautiful. The animation work is completely stunning. It's one of the most gorgeously animated movies that I've ever seen in my life but the overarching message is not a Toy Story movie for me. The style is brilliant and wonderful and perfect but the substance, except Duke Kaboom who's perfect, the substance is not a Toy Story movie for me. It was a movie that I didn't want and I didn't need I was happy with my perfect trilogy. And maybe that's just me gatekeeping Toy Story. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that I'm gatekeeping Toy Story. But to me, it is a perfect trilogy and it didn't need a full sequel. Will I ever do it? I don't know. I kind of feel like it's a never say never thing because it's a Keanu Reeves movie. So maybe I should, but I don't feel like I need to because I don't feel like it was a movie that needed to be made. Oh, well, that's my thought on Toy Story 4, but what do people think about Toy Story 2? Let's move over to social media thoughts and find out. So, as always, we are going to start with the patrons of this podcast, and we're going to start with Dan. And Dan says, I think a recent guest on Binge Movies said it was their least favourite of the Toy Story franchise. Well, I have to respectfully disagree. 
is actually my favourite because it continues the evolving friendship between Buzz and Woody, inverting the plot where now Buzz must rescue Woody and remind him that toys are meant to be played with. It also introduces Jesse, who's a breath of enthusiastic fresh air, and is the final Toy Story film for Jim Varney, who was, according to said Binge Movies guest, famously murdered by the Walt Disney Corporation before he could expose that they had stolen music from Ernest Goes to Camp. We also have a comment from perennial commenter Andy, and he says, Can you imagine living in a reality where Toy Story 2 was a direct-to-video release as originally planned? I shudder to think of that, as Toy Story 2 is my personal favourite of the Toy Story saga. Having put the rivalry of Buzz and Woody behind, it becomes more of a film about maintaining family, with Buzz, Rex, Ham, Potato and Slink stopping at nothing to save their friend. The addition of Jesse adds a welcome and at times heartbreaking story to Andy's toys. I absolutely love this one. And as always, Andy is one of the hosts of the incredible podcast, which is called Geek Salad. They basically cover everything to do with geek, including nostalgia, but mainly movies, music, video games, toys, snacks, comic books, books, literally anything and everything that you could call geek is going to be featured on Geek Salad. I've been on their podcast several times and I always love spending time with them. They are a brilliant bunch of people. So I will put some information in the show notes. Please have a listen to Geek Salad. Final patron comment is from Brendan and he says, If Toy Story was the film that made everyone sit up and take notice of CGI animation and Pixar was a filmmaking studio, Toy Story 2 was the film during which Pixar as we know it became fully formed before our eyes. Toy Story 2 explores the emotional cost of losing loved ones while also acknowledging that loss as an inevitable and fair price of loving in the first place, and is also a rip-robbing comedy adventure with unforgettable characters. It waltzes into the pantheon of great movie sequels, not just by having a dynamite standalone narrative, but by enriching some of the more bare corners of the world that the original didn't have time to more than glance at. Even after two additional sequels which are brilliant endings for Woody and Buzz and the gang in their own right, this stands as perhaps the studio's most perfectly calibrated outing. A Swiss watch of laughs, tears and giddy joy at the triumph of friends over familiar obstacles. I guess you could say that I love it to infinity and beyond. Moving over to Twitter, we're going to start with at Panda Sean, who said, This was one of my most anticipated films as a child and it did not disappoint. One of the best sequels ever. At Next to the Isle said, An amazing film. I saw it on a special day, passed my driving test, saw this and then met Jack Charlton in the evening. A great sequel. And at Kenzie Phoenix said, I am one of those people who prefers Toy Story 2 to 1 and 3. We exist. It really is the film that cements Pixar as a force in film animation, especially as a follow-up to the middling A Bug's Life, creating genuinely relatable struggles from experiences that humans could never have. Especially notable, I feel, is Jessie, obviously because of Pixar's first real tearjerker scene, but also because she's excellently realised throughout, a character with history and personality that shines the whole film. And no comments on Instagram or Facebook this time around. But as always, thank you so much to everyone who provided comments for Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2 has always been one of the most perfect sequels that's ever existed. It takes the characters and themes of the original and builds on both, while adding new environments and characters that feel like they've always been there. They go on to do more of this in Toy Story 3. As I said, perfect trilogy. I'm not going to bang on about that. But then you realise what this movie actually went through. And you think... The director video Toy Story 2 would have been legitimately awful. The original theatrical version would have been marginally better and arguably would have looked great. But knowing now the plot of the movie, 
I feel like it wouldn't have been a satisfactory sequel. Without Jesse, the emotional core of the movie is removed. It just becomes yet another rescue mission. Jesse is the perfect juxtaposition to Woody. Woody's only ever known love and in the same family for generations. And Jesse's only ever known that children grow up and abandon you. That this movie could not have had that hardly bears thinking about. Not to mention the stellar voice cast, the, all of the original returning cast members, plus Joan Cusack and Kelsey Grammer. They are both so perfectly cast. Wheezy, obviously another new character, shows Woody what happens when a toy gets broken, that you can easily get lost or forgotten. Given the choice, would a toy prefer to be mint in box or prefer to be played with? And like last episode where I said X-Men rests on these stellar grounded performances of Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Here it's Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Tom Hanks especially remains an utter delight as Woody and the scene where Woody sees all the roundup memorabilia was all ad-libbed by Hanks. The team showed him sketches of the fictional merchandise and his reactions were genuine. Woody's roundup could easily have been a 50s TV show, sugar-coated chocolate cereal sponsorship and all. And we finally get Barbie in a Toy Story movie. Obviously we would get more Barbie going forward but who doesn't love tour guide Barbie? Not only did this movie almost break Pixar, it asks fundamental questions that we can all relate to. That things don't last forever, and what do we do when something outgrows us or it's outgrown by us? That sadness and grief and loss are inevitable, really, and will happen to us all. We can choose to close ourselves off, go to that metaphorical Japanese museum, or we can choose to experience life the best way we can. Producer Helen Plotkin summarises it wonderfully, when she says it's a movie about it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. It's a cliche, but loss doesn't have to be dark and depressing. It can also be about coming into maturity and progressing through life however you choose to, but progressing is what you have to do. It's easy to dwell in the past, especially if you've been in a relationship that's failed, but you'll always have those fond memories. Toy Story 2 was Pixar's first sequel and arguably their best sequel. Toy Story 3 is technically a second sequel and that's the best of those two. Despite the hell behind the scenes, what's in front of the camera is polished and well-crafted. This would define Pixar going forward. It would solidify it as the animation studio to aim to be. And really, it's a shame that some of their future sequels just didn't live up to the promise of this one. Because Toy Story 2 really is mint in box. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Toy Story 2. And if you did enjoy this episode, you can help Verbal Diorama grow and be noticed by others by telling your friends and family about this podcast. You could leave a rating or review, ideally five stars, on something like Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. I always post out on social media whenever I see a review and I always like to say thanks to the people who post them because I'm really grateful. You can also retweet or like posts on social media as well. That always helps too. And if you did enjoy this episode specifically on Toy Story 2, you might also like one of the following episodes. I've made this very Pixar-centric because I've done lots of animation in the past on this podcast. I've done two animation seasons, both of which contain Pixar movies. And I feel like I could tell you so many wonderful animated movies. I try and limit episode recommendations to three or four. So I'm going to start with episode 30, The Incredibles, because it's my favourite Pixar movie. And I feel like it, it's a little bit sacrilegious to say that The Incredibles is my favourite Pixar movie when I've just said that Toy Story 2 is literal perfection. But when you have a studio like Pixar that puts out so much quality content, I love Toy Story 2 with all my heart. 
I have a very emotional connection to it. I love The Incredibles for something completely different because it's a superhero movie and it's fun and it's bright and it's fast and the pacing's really good and it's just really enjoyable to watch. So I would absolutely recommend The Incredibles as an episode and also as a movie. Obviously, episode 50, Toy Story. Really, I would love it if you listened to that episode first, if you haven't. But if you've reached this point in this episode, then you can always go back and listen to it. And I would highly recommend you do. It talks about the creation of Pixar, basically, and how Toy Story got made in the first place. Because as I said, Toy Story 2 is a miracle that it got made. Toy Story is also a miracle that it got made. And the fact that both of these movies are as excellent as they are is really a testament to the genius behind Pixar and I go into that in detail in episode 50. And also episode 75 which was on Coco, an incredibly popular episode. It's one of the most downloaded episodes of this podcast this year. People love Coco and for such good reason because it's such a wonderful brilliant completely emotional story and it's a story about loss and, and grief, essentially. But it's also a story about celebration of life. Um, and I think that's really important when you talk about Coco. I think Coco is a wonderful movie to show a child who has experienced loss or who has a family member that might be really sick. Because to me, the message that I get from Coco is that they're never truly gone. And that's one of the most wonderful things. And also on that episode, I got to have a chat with one of my wonderful friends and patrons, Claudia. She is a Mexican-American and she talked to me about the significance of a movie like Coco to her as a Mexican-American. And really, really fascinating chat that we had. So yeah, absolutely Incredibles, Toy Story, Coco. All of those movies are incredible. Um, oh, Jess is back. <laughs> uh, she's back, everyone. <laughs> she say hi then. I'm just finishing off the episode, Jess. You've, you've come in at the right time. She probably wants some food. That's the only reason she's come in. Um, anyway, give me feedback on my episode recommendations. Uh, do you think I got it right? I mean, then Pixar movies. So of course I got it right, but let me know. Let's go quickly talk about the next episode. So this particular sequel is coming 100 episodes after the first. So we're going way back to the start of Verbal Diorama for the first movie. And when I tell you it's a sequel to the greatest movie ever made, you may know what I'm talking about because I am very well known for my love for the original movie. The original movie came out in 1999 and this movie was unlikely to reach the heights of its predecessor. However, because it's 100 episodes later, I really wanted to cover The Mummy Returns. It's not a terrible movie, although arguably it's not great, but it does have a lot going for it, namely Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. And yeah, I thought it would be a lot of fun to revisit The Mummy Returns because it's a movie that admittedly I've not seen very often. I've seen The Mummy so many times, but The Mummy Returns kind of eludes me a little bit. I've seen it a couple of times but I'm going to watch it again for this podcast and I'm going to cover it. I'm actually very excited to be talking about The Mummy Returns. So please join me next week for The Mummy Returns. You can follow me on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. If you want to support the show financially, you're under no obligation to do so. But 
I am 100% incredibly grateful to the patrons of Verbal Diorama for supporting this podcast and basically for helping me to keep it running. As always, a huge thank you to them. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Dan and Sam. You are the rootinous tootinous patrons in the wild, wild west. Merch, verbaldiorama.com slash merch. I don't even know why I bother talking about merch because no one cares. <laughs> Genuinely, I will be retooling all of that very soon. You can get in touch with me at verbaldiorama at gmail.com or over at verbaldiorama.com and you can say hi. You can also say hi on social media too. As I mentioned, film stories, you can check out the magazine, which I write for, and the articles online, a couple of which are written by me. And I will pop that link for film stories for the Pixar bloopers in the show notes. And finally, ride like the wind, bullseye. Bye. Say bye, Jess. Hey, good girl. Movie should know.